Welcome back to the Heresy is Good podcast. My name is Ted Lee Brown, and I am a heretic. I hope you had a chance to check out PBS's American Experience two-hour documentary on the Reverend Billy Graham. If not, don't worry, I've got you covered. I'll be doing two episodes on the subject. There will be a mix of part review and part commentary. For better or worse, Billy Graham's influence on what's happening today is undeniable and needs to be understood. The documentary opens with video of a Billy Graham crusade in Chicago on June 17, 1962. Addressing a packed stadium, Billy Graham says, quote, A nation never falls until it starts to decay at the center. Rome was a striking parallel to America today, a leader in world affairs, rich and prosperous, with an economy that defied collapse. Her armies were respected by the nations of the world, but Rome fell, and that can happen right here today. End quote. And then a little later, Billy adds, quote, You are an American, and if America is to be spared, and America is to continue to be blessed and honored of God, you are going to have to become a Christian. End quote. Ironically, the Reverend Billy Graham is suggesting that America will fall like Rome did if Americans don't become Christians. I don't mean to start out nitpicking, but I say ironically because the Western Roman Empire didn't collapse until shortly after it became a Christian empire. Some historians argue that in no small part because of its conversion to Christianity. Certainly, Roman emperors before Constantine believed Christianity was an existential threat to their culture and their spiritual practices and would lead to the fall of Rome. The Western Roman Empire wasn't built or sustained by Christian charity. It was built and maintained for over a thousand years by mass murder, pillaging, and the enslavement of the conquered. As much as Rome accomplished, I don't think their society is one we should aspire to emulate in any case. At least the three out of four of us who would be living our lives in slavery wouldn't think so. The Christian Roman Empire fell, in part, because their priorities changed. Resources previously used to fuel their military machine were directed elsewhere, and the people in the region that they had been subjugating for so long were finally able to overwhelm them, despite being lowly pagans. But using Billy Graham's logic, God should have maintained 
the status of the Western Roman Empire and blessed it because they had converted to Christianity. And after all, they were the home of the supposed one true Christian church. But despite that, the empire fell hard. But let's get back to Billy's story. Even though his parents were conservative Presbyterians who insisted on having Bible readings and prayer every night, Billy wasn't convinced he was a true Christian until he attended a service led by a traveling revivalist named Mordecai Ham. What I find particularly interesting about this story is that despite being raised in a conservative religious family who shared scriptures and prayers with him on a daily basis, Billy didn't accept Jesus or find himself until he heard it from what he would become, a traveling preacher. A preacher who would eventually become the most famous person in the world in the late 50s. Mordecai's revival inspired Billy and he decided on the spot to make a decision for Christ and accept the religion of his parents. The documentary goes on to explore how Billy Graham started out as a fuller brush salesman and that by the end of the summer, the 17-year-old, handsome, six-foot-two, blue-eyed wonder boy was the top fuller brush salesman in all of North or South Carolina. They then played the following quote from Graham about his days as a salesman. Quote, I sold brushes from door to door in the Depression period. Many times you'd go to the door and the lady would come and just crack the door. And I knew that that door was soon going to slam. So I'd always put my foot in there, you see. And my technique was to always offer the lady a free brush. And of course, in those days, that appealed. Now, at the time Billy shared that story, I'm sure most people thought he was just being a good salesman. But today, if he tried the foot in the door stunt with my wife, he'd have a broken foot. Unless she turned out to be a much lonelier housewife than I imagined. Billy was reported to have said that what he learned from that job was sincerity. Quote, you have to believe in the product, end quote. Apparently, Billy really believed in fuller brushes and displayed great salesmanship to get others to believe in them too and invest. Along the way, he had found the algorithm he would utilize to zealously sell Jesus for the rest of his life. Billy used some of that fuller brush money to go to Bible college to follow up on his dream of becoming a big-time Mordecai Ham. Where Billy had come from, preachers were the rock stars, and Billy wanted to be Elvis. He chose to go to Bob Jones College, but soon regretted his choice. It was reported in the documentary that he thought the school was too strict 
and left after four months for a conservative but less strict alternative. After graduating, he attended Wheaton College, where he met his wife, Ruth, then went on to join Youth for Christ Ministry. Within three years of joining, he had preached in 47 states and all the Canadian provinces. With that experience under his belt, he decided to strike out on his own and set up a ministry in notoriously sinful Los Angeles. The ministry was a flop and about to fold until the intervention of newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst and his program publicity campaign. Hearst, the Rupert Murdoch of his day, liked Graham because Graham was fervently anti-communist, pro-capitalism, and pro-law and order. The Los Angeles campaign had suddenly become a huge hit, and thanks to Hearst, was covered by newspapers all over the country. Billy followed up on his success in L.A. by going on a national tour. He filled arenas and stadiums, and indeed became the Elvis of preachers. But no one should forget how he got there, how he was used and manipulated by William Randolph Hearst for purely political reasons, and how vulnerable Graham was to men like Hearst, and later President Richard Nixon. Men who I would dare say cared much more about selling newspapers and acquiring more political power than they did Jesus. Understandably, Reverend Graham appreciated Hearst's help getting people to flock to his revivals and helping him to save souls, but was naive about the inherent corruption involved and the price he would eventually pay. It was during the L.A. revivals that Billy perfected the art of connecting his literal reading of the Bible to interpreting the current events of his time. He, like many other Protestant evangelicals, was raised to believe the world was going to come to an end very soon. Billy had come on the scene just as nuclear proliferation was growing exponentially, and he did not hesitate to fan people's fears of it. Quote, I believe this sincerely from the depths of my heart, that unless the Western world has an old-fashioned revival, we are done for. We cannot last. We cannot stand the tremendous strain and stress of future days in our battle with communism unless we have spiritual revival, end quote. Now, of course, people had the right to be fearful of nuclear war. At the time, you would have to have been crazy not to be fearful of it, whether you loved Jesus or not. But in the present, hindsight tells us that a great Western world revival isn't what would resolve the issues 
that had us on the brink of mutually assured destruction for so long. In the end, it was about everyone's self-interest, not Jesus. Thankfully, Reverend Graham and everyone else's worst fears did not come true. But the demonization of everyone who didn't fit Graham's definition of a Christian served only to prolong the fear and uncertainty. Thankfully, Graham would make amends in his later years and worked with various groups, including the Russians, for a nuclear freeze, which was considered a liberal cause at the time. And we will discuss this subject further later in the podcast. As Graham's fame and his revivals grew, he began associating his crusades with special guests, influential politicians and celebrities, and his influence and power continued to grow. Buoyed by his success, Billy decided to take his message to a reluctant President Harry S. Truman. Their meeting did not go well. If you want to know the details of the meeting, you should check out the documentary. But after the meeting, Billy and his companions did a photo op, kneeling in prayer on the White House lawn, thanking God for the privilege of meeting the president. The photos were splashed across every front page in the country and were a huge success. Truman, on the other hand, was so disgusted with the whole meeting that he was reported to have said, quote, All Billy Graham is interested in is just getting his name in the paper, end quote, and directed his secretary to, quote, Do not ever let that man into the Oval Office again, end quote. Truman would not come to like him any better when Graham started throwing around Truman's and FDR's name during his rants about communism and how we were headed down that slippery slope with new laws regulating industry or supportive of unions and workers' rights, which he interpreted as a threat to the American way of life when in fact they enhanced the lives of millions of Americans and helped make this country the economic powerhouse it became. Presently, the only thing that's changed on the right in that regard is they have switched out the word communism with the word socialism. Either way, it's still a grotesque practice that tragically oversimplifies complex human issues and rejects the empathy and fairness commanded by Christ. Once again, hindsight shows us that the obsessive fears of communism taking over this country were unfounded and any suggestion otherwise hyperbole None of what they feared or prophesied came true. 
To his credit, later in life, Billy Graham eventually changed his approach to the Cold War. Instead of demonizing the other side and exploiting everyone's fear to scare people into submission in the name of Jesus, he spoke out against nuclear proliferation and in favor of a nuclear freeze and disarmament. He attended a conference on the subject in Moscow in 1983, despite the opposition of the Republican administration of Ronald Reagan. Finally, partisan politics was no longer dictating his actions. But this happened only after some very painful lessons earlier in life. The first president Graham cozied up to was Dwight D. Eisenhower. He covertly served as Eisenhower's campaign spiritual advisor, but feigned impartiality when speaking publicly. On his television show, Graham said, quote, I want to say something to you tonight, to you church members, you people who profess Christianity. I believe it's your duty more than any other people to go to the polls and vote. You owe your country. You owe unborn generations your vote at this election. You say, well, Billy, who shall we vote for? Now, I'm not entering partisan politics. Of course, I have my own opinion and I'm going to register my opinion next Tuesday at the poll. But nobody will know but myself and God. End quote. How quaint. But shortly thereafter, even the veneer of impartiality would slip. Post-election, Eisenhower met with Graham to express gratitude for his support, believing it had made the difference, and played the tune Billy wanted to hear. He said to Graham, quote, I think one of the reasons I was elected was that we need spiritual renewal in this country. End quote. Neither one of the two men seemed overly concerned that those words should have never came out of President-elect Eisenhower's mouth. The Constitution of the United States explicitly forbids the establishment and promotion of a national religion. But that didn't slow down Graham and Eisenhower. They teamed up to initiate things like a national prayer breakfast and make it an annual must-attend event for politicians with ambitions to kowtow before religious leaders. They changed a previously secular Pledge of Allegiance to the United States of America by adding the phrase, under God, and adopted the phrase, in God we trust, as the nation's official motto before adding it to our paper currency one year later in 1957. Christian piety was being represented as the highest form of patriotism. Graham once said, quote, I want to tell you all it's more patriotic, 
more patriotic to be a Christian, to live for God, than it is to carry a gun in the time of war. End quote. And he may have actually believed that before the Vietnam War, but he certainly didn't see the conscientious objectors of the 60s as being more patriotic. The Reverend Graham and President Eisenhower were relentless in establishing a new religious nationalism, unlike anything before it, because they believed it was essential to defeating communism. Graham once said, quote, Communism is a religion. At this moment, it appears that communism has all the earmarks of Antichrist. It is masterminded by Satan himself. Who is greater, Marx or Christ? End quote. Talk about literally demonizing the other side. Generations before Graham and generations after never fail to play the Antichrist card. They have always played it against the other, those who are not Christians, and against each other when their religious beliefs and interpretations of Christianity differed even slightly. They would identify someone as the Antichrist and declare that the world as we know it would end in their lifetime. Generation after generation have believed it over and over again, but it never turns out to be true. And no matter how many times they have proven to be wrong, they do not see or refuse to see the error of their ways and go on to accommodate their first century antichrist orthodoxy by moving the goalpost back one more time and have done so for 2,000 years. Graham believed the ultimate battle between good and evil was going to play out between communism and capitalism, between antichrist and Christianity. And he was wrong. History proved the worst case scenario, the scenario he would zealously use to fan the fear of the faithful and elicit conversions, was unfounded. And as it would turn out, communism, like many other forms of government throughout history, including de facto Christian theocracies, eventually imploded under the weight of its own corruption. In the end, with the human condition being what it is, communism proved as incapable of establishing a worker's utopia as Christian orthodoxy was in establishing a Christian paradise. Pound for pound, neither side was as good or evil as they or their enemies thought. Before we go back to Billy's life story and his involvement with President Richard M. Nixon, I'd like to give him some credit for learning from some of his mistakes. For example, in September 1977, 
Reverend Graham was interviewed by journalist Kenneth L. Woodward after returning home from a world revival tour. In the American Experience documentary on Graham, Woodward discusses doing an interview with Graham in a New York City hotel room shortly after Billy arrived back in the States. Kenneth L. Woodward, quote, He was tired. He'd been gone for months and months. He missed his wife. That was part of the mood. And so we're talking. And he said, quote, you know, end quote, he said, quote, I used to think that all Chinese babies who never had the gospel preached to them were all going to go to hell, end quote, he said, quote, I don't believe that anymore, end quote, he said, quote, my job is to do the preaching and God's job is to do the saving. Billy was finally breaking away from and questioning the orthodoxy that had dominated his thinking and ministry for his whole life. After touring and preaching in China and getting to know the Chinese people, Billy came to believe that there was no way a loving, generous, forgiving God could be so unjust to condemn people to hell who had never even heard the gospel. Billy had come face to face with some of what he had been preaching all his life and finally realized he was wrong. Common sense finally trumped the orthodoxy that forced Graham and others to believe that God would automatically send Chinese babies to hell for not being born again when they never even had a choice. Graham realized his orthodoxy didn't have all the answers and trusted that God would do the right thing and not judge people unjustly no matter what his interpretation of the Bible had led him to believe. Unfortunately, he felt short of extending that same courtesy to the rest of the world and all the people who have ever lived in it, but at least it was a start. A similar dynamic happened when Graham visited the Soviet Union in the early 80s to participate in the nuclear freeze talks. After decades of ranting about the Soviet Union being the Antichrist incarnate, he suddenly discovered that the Russians were just human beings like me and you and had as little interest in blowing up the world as we did. That they too wanted peace and an end to the madness of nuclear proliferation. I wonder about how Reverend Graham felt when he realized that he had always been a big part of the problem instead of being part of the solution. That his decades-long demonization of the Soviets helped bring us closer than ever to the brink of nuclear war. That, from the Soviet perspective, his fiery sermons were a pretext for war. That by his demonizing of the Soviets as being evil incarnate, he was justifying 
their total annihilation by the American government in the name of God. That Graham was seeding the American people with the moral justifications and rationalizations necessary to convince a nation to commit genocide in the name of security and a higher purpose. God and country. That denied their humanity. Was it any wonder why the Russians came to think that their survival was totally dependent on their capabilities to unleash mutually assured destruction? What if Billy had started a dialogue he engaged with in the Russians in the 80s, back in the 50s? Would the Cold War and nuclear proliferation have possibly been resolved earlier? As an emissary of Christ, shouldn't he have transcended his nationalistic fervor and worked with both sides to bring about peace a long time before he did? After all, Russian babies don't deserve to go to hell any more than Chinese babies, right? In part two of this podcast, I will discuss Reverend Graham's corrupt relationship with President Richard M. Nixon, his conflict with Martin Luther King Jr., and his personal downfall. My name is Teddy Lee Brown, and I'm proud to be a heretic, and so should you. Please consider checking out our Heresy is Good podcast page on Patreon and sponsoring this podcast. There's a lot of work to be done. Merchandise supportive of this podcast can be found on heresyisgood.com. Until next time, be the best heretics you can be.